0: Welcome to the Nathan Crane Podcast. Nathan is a certified holistic cancer coach, 20-time award-winning documentary filmmaker, competitive CrossFit athlete, and best-selling author of Becoming Cancer-Free. With nearly two decades in independent natural health research and education, Nathan shares his top solutions for preventing and overcoming disease while optimizing health and improving human performance. Each week,
1: Nathan brings on highly renowned experts to share natural and holistic health science, strategies, and breakthroughs for living your healthiest, happiest, and most fulfilling life. And now, here's Nathan Crane. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. I am really excited to have my good friend, Jason Prawl, here with us today. Jason, what's up, dude? Thanks for coming on the podcast. Well, happy to be here. I'm glad to see you have a podcast. This is cool. Yeah, it's been fun, man. You know, I've done, like you, I've done hundreds and hundreds of interviews over the last, like, 10 years. And the only thing I wish is, like, man, I should have started a podcast, like, 10 years ago. I should have recorded this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah should have taken all know. those interviews that we do for summits and docu series and all that stuff and just put it on a podcast. Like, why not? But I've been having fun with it. Bring on a lot of the you know same guests that I've interviewed over the years, as well as new people that I'm meeting, and um, and it's cool because we actually get to like spend really good quality time diving into these you know deep conversations on all kinds of different topics. So um, some of the things I want to talk with you about today, I mean, you have this uh, pretty incredible background of your you know documentary series that you did, the Human Longevity Project. I think back in like 2018, that has been um, seen by hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people around the world. I know you've been kind of re-releasing that, um, recently. Uh, I think you said you're, uh, people will have a chance to watch it again this next year, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Early in the year. so yeah, people keep an eye out for that. So it's, it's a great series. And then you just wrote a new book beyond longevity and, uh, people can go get a copy of that too. But, um, you know, you have a, a diverse, interests in a lot of things from from personal development to spirituality to spending time with shamans to um you know researching longevity i guess a good question to kind of kick off the conversation is around longevity so when i talk to people i i, I used to ask the people this question you know wouldn't you love to live to a hundred i just kind of thought you know years ago that like most people wanted to live a long time and almost yeah. every time people said no. And, and as I started digging deep, I was like shocked. I was like, what? You don't want to live to 100? And then I started digging deeper. It's like, well, yeah, because in most people's minds, living to be old, they vision themselves being frail, weak, sick, with cancer, in a wheelchair, living a poor quality of life. And mm-hmm. so I started reframing the question, right? And saying, wouldn't you love to live to 100 if you were healthy and strong and active and living, living a good life? And everybody I've asked mm-hmm. that question to you said, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's for me, like, that's what longevity, the essence of what longevity should really mean is not just living long, but also a good quality of life. And I know you cover that in depth in, in your book and in your documentary series. Um, but yeah, like what got you interested into longevity? Like, why did you decide to go out and travel the world and film these different, you know, blue zones and different areas around the world where people are living 80, 90, hundred plus with basically little to no disease, healthy, strong, happy people. Like what was it in you that, uh, you know, gave that passion for learning more about longevity? Yeah, there's a couple of reasons. Really. I was, I was working as a, um, functional
0: practitioner kind of functional medicine and, and doing that kind of thing. I was running, you know, all kinds of different lab tests and, um, helping people that had autoimmune conditions and cancers and, you know, skin issues and hormonal imbalances and you name it, right. Like any and all symptoms walked through my door and, you know, ultimately and that's really why I got into this, right. Cause I had my own health issues. And so I, I wanted to help all other people resolve their health challenges. But as I, as I did that, what I saw was not just unfortunate symptoms that were showing up out of the blue, right? There was reasons. And it was the primary reasons were how people were living, right? The choices they were making, the ignorances that that we all have, um, and the relationship between how we're living in our modern world. So, you know, if, if we think about what, what life was like 80 or 90 years ago, a hundred years ago in the U S is vastly different, right? What my grandmother called an organic tomato, she called the tomato. You know what I mean? So w- things have shifted dramatically over the past eight years, and and you and I are, are, aren't even 50 yet. So we we haven't even seen all those changes, right? So we only have a limited perspective of what life is actually like here in the Western world. And so I wanted to take a, a broader look at what life is really like for people around the world and for what life was like before um, you know, a hundred years ago in some of these other places around the world that aren't as advanced, that don't have as much of, of this sort of modern technology um, and modern way of living, right? And it's 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 really a way of living, right? So it's, and I'm actually not even deme- uh, demonizing technology. Technology is fantastic, right? But just, it's just how we're living. and And so that was part of it. The other part was, I, I kept hearing from kind of the Silicon Valley types, um, you know, uh, the Ray Dalio types, right? That that longevity was a disease, that there's a problem with aging, right? That we can live forever, right? That we can live to 300 and, and we're going to solve this problem with all this new stuff that we're developing. And like, fundamentally, that just didn't resonate, right? There was something like instrumentally wrong with that frame of reference and and perspective. And so... I thought that that's insane, right? We can't keep living how we're living in the in the United States and in the Western world, and then just think that technology is going to somehow via nanobots or otherwise, um, some kind of AI is going to help us live a long time. It's missing a key aspect of what life is, what life is. Can can do for us what health is, where it comes from, right? God, spirituality, religion, uh, you know, the non-self aspect of who I am, like these bigger questions, right? It, it's it's absolutely devoid of all of that conversation, and so I, I just had a, a, I wanted to interject, um, as small as my narrative may be, in that big big uh discussion i wanted to interject in there and 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 give a different perspective on what aging is what health is where it comes from how long we ex- should expect to live you know the importance of death itself right versus living forever quote unquote like that sounds like hell to me if we want to talk about uh, what hell on earth would be like it would be living forever um to me and so i think again th- but this 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 perspective i have Really comes from a philosophy, right? A different idea of what life is, of of, of how we can approach life, and so, um, and 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 that that's not something that I generated all by myself, right? It really was informed by all of these people that I've had the pleasure to interact with, right? These indigenous leaders, these
1: spiritual masters, right? These um, practitioners, these elderly people throughout the world. Hey, I just want to take a quick second and thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you're enjoying it so far. As a special thank you for tuning in to this episode, I want to give you my number one Amazon bestselling book, absolutely free. You can go download it right now at becomingcancerfree.com. If you want to learn evidence-based strategies for helping your body become a cancer fighting machine for not only cancer reversal, but cancer prevention, go grab a copy of the book, Again, I'm just giving it to you for free. You can go download it at becomingcancerfree.com. All right, let's get back to the show. Right, so um,
0: with enough interaction, enough of of awakening into sort of the more philosophical and and spiritual ideas of life, health, and death, um, you know that really informed how I approached the simple things about what longevity is and how to how to come at this properly, right? And and hopefully give people a perspective of of, of the beautiful aspects of aging, what aging even is, um, because if we delude ourselves, I think at some point we're going to have to recognize that fact that it's going things are going to come home to roost, right? Like we're going to figure it out eventually. That death is on the doorstep. I'm actually getting older, despite this rhetoric about living forever and aging as a disease and all this stuff. And look at everybody who's talking about this and then look at them 10 years ago. You can see that they're older. You can see that they're aging. Right. And then, so should we demonize that? Is that a problem? Well, I don't think so. Right. So I wanted to come at it differently. um, and, and hopefully give people a, 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 more healthy perspective on, on the process of
1: getting older. Yeah. I love that. And, um, You said earlier, people like Ray Dalio were, does he, I followed his uh, content on like economics and things like that, which he's, he's brilliant about and the changing world order and all of that. Does he actually talk about longevity and, and all of that? Or is that? Or were you thinking Peter Diam- Diam- How do you say uh, Diamandis,
0: Diamandis for sure? I, I'm not sure Ray Dalio, but those, those types, I mean, uh, well, when so you forgive say- me if I actually put him in the wrong category, but it is definitely the, the Diamandis types.
1: and Diamandis, and, and yeah. Even the reason I was asking that, right? is because like, I remember reading like when you were speaking about that, I, Peter's, Peter's book, Abundance popped into my mind. And I read it because I started reading it years ago when I was living in San Diego because of like, it, it, It was promoted as like yeah you know extend your lifespan and health and abundance and prosperity and live with vitality and all this stuff right it all sounded good and then as i started digging into it it was all exactly we were talking about it's all about you know technology and using you know pharmaceuticals and all kinds of things that were it was more about using the technology of our modern day to extend our lifespan and while i think that's fine for people who want that like I, I think we're like you said, I think we're missing the boat with that where, you know what, we're going to turn yeah. ourselves into half robots so we can live to 200 years or 300 years old and be controlled by some, you know, technocratic machine matrix kind of thing. Like to me, that sounds like that sounds like, you know, fucking hell on earth, like you said. Right. It's like well, I have no even, desire to, even, to, to live like that.
0: Yeah. And even more fundamentally. Right. Like if, if I don't understand the impact of my choices in my household, in my own mind. If I don't understand those choices day in and day out and the consequences of those choices, then I can take all the stem cells. And I'm a huge stem cell fan. I'm a huge fan of all this regenerative medicine. I think this is a a godsend in in a huge way for people who are suffering from chronic diseases and symptoms and pains and all these things. So I think we should use all of that um, in the right context, absolutely. And the deeper point is that if I don't understand how I'm using the things in my environment, and that's how that's affecting not only me, but my family, but my community, my the larger environment as a whole. If I don't understand that the coal power plants that we use are, are giving off mercury to the environment, which gets into the, the oceans and the soils and, and impacts the fish. And then I eat the fish and then I have mercury issues. Right? These are the types of things that if we don't understand the bigger picture, then then, then all of this regenerative health movement is just—we're just going to be chasing our tail, right? right. So, so I, I sometimes, I, like, I'm with you on that. Like, this—that's the, the—that's the extreme, right? This like kind of like half man, half robot. And I think there's definitely people who are chasing that. But I think even more fundamentally, it's this: What are the choices that I'm making? How does my mental state? How does my negativity bias, which is essentially fundamental? in everybody, in other words, we have more negative thoughts than we do positive thoughts, how does that impact my liver function, right? How does that impact my gut health? How does that impact my hormonal balance? So if I understand that, now I can make choices on an individual level, right? My thoughts are essentially my thoughts. Now they can ripple out and have a positive impact on my family, my community, my environment. Absolutely. But those are my internal thoughts. That's a powerful thing, and in fact, it may be the most powerful thing when it comes to health and longevity is how we can inform our own system from the mental, emotional, and sort of uh, you know nervous system level, right? So, so that's kind of the deeper aspect of what I what I like to point to is like we have immense power and control of our own health, our own body, and what we choose to do and how we choose to live every single day has a greater impact on, on than just us, right? It has an impact on the entire environment and the environment impacts us, right? So the Native Americans are fantastic for, for their philosophies and their teachings in this realm, right, that we are we are just a, a a piece of the web, right? And if we don't understand that, then we're gonna create havoc around us, right? Look at all the, the toxic, like a, ba- a baby's born and there's like a couple hundred different chemicals in the cord blood, right? That baby hasn't even made a choice yet in the world and yet they're impacted by the environment. This is the thing that we need to wake up to is how our, our, our choices, how our lifestyles, how we're living affects everything around us, right? Like we really aren't globally on that level yet, right? And so um, each person that can make that choice to make just a little bit different um, choices each day, that's can, that, that does add up and makes a huge impact, right? And that to me is is just as worthwhile pursuing than this new regenerative medicine technology that's coming out.
1: Hey, I just wanna pause a second and ask you, are you enjoying this episode so far? Are you getting good value from this content? If so, then I know you're gonna absolutely love Healing Life. At healinglife.net, you get exclusive and premier access to hundreds of the top world's doctors, experts, cancer conquerors and survivors exclusive interviews that i have done with all these experts and doctors uh, that are not available for free online they're only available at healinglife.net so not only do you get access to all of those but you actually get to speak with these doctors and experts and ask them any question you want about health and healing and this is available exclusively to healing life members you can try it out for free go to healinglife.net and you can start your free trial there And uh, whether you're interested in learning more about detox or cancer, diet and nutrition and nutritional science, about diabetes, about heart disease, autoimmune disease, anti-aging, longevity, all of these topics are covered in depth and more are continuing to be added at Healing Life. And again, you get to talk to these doctors yourself. So I invite you to set up a free trial at healinglife.net. And I hope to see you over there. Now, let's get back to the show. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I say I do agree with you on there are a lot of technologies that we have for health that are incredible, right? I mean, one example, someone... I mean, you're in the
0: cancer world, right? Like, yeah, the yeah. cancer stuff is amazing.
1: Well, cancer stuff, I mean, I'm, I'm even thinking like, on a practical level, someone's leg gets cut off. And you, you know, you have, um, oh, totally. you know, you have a prosthetic that actually you can run on. So people are able to continue doing sports and things like that. Or, Yeah, you know, stem cells, things like that. I think there is a time and place for these things, but I also think we can go too far. And that's the question I think we have to ask ourselves is when does technology go too far? So there is a, you know, there's a, a positive and a negative to all technology. The more technology that we create, actually, the more toxins and pollutants and chemicals and poisons we're putting into the environment and into ourselves. For, you know, one simple example, we think you know, solar power and wind power and electric powered cars is saving the world. And, you know, if you talk anything bad about that, and and I used to be someone who was like, yes, that's the solution for energy. We have this unlimited energy and it's all sustainable. Well, the problem is all of those types of energy also have a lot of toxins and chemicals and pollutants that come off of them. Is it better than the, you know, strip mining of the planet? Probably. It's still really hard to prove at this point. Um, you know is it better than taking out all the oil and natural gas out of the out of the earth and having all those leaks happen and kill all kinds of animals? probably but again it's still very hard to prove. but what happens with the batteries in these cars? What happens with the cars themselves? what happens with all the mining that has to happen of all these rare minerals from the earth? often in third world countries where people are in cobalt mines, for example, being, you know, people need to go look this up. They haven't seen it. These toxic mines that children and families by the thousands are mining for pennies a day so that, you know, we here in the West can be comfortable in our electric powered cars. And so, and we're quote unquote, saving the environment. Yeah, what about these thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who are getting cancer and all kinds of diseases from the exposure to these rare minerals? So again, I'm not saying the answer is to get rid of, you know, uh, electric powered anything. I'm just saying we have to look deeper into the solutions and recognize that just because more technology that seems sustainable doesn't necessarily always mean better and it doesn't always necessarily mean healthier. We have to think about the consequences of that technology. We have to think about the poisons and toxins and chemicals and carcinogens that come from it as well that are contributing to our health. Like you said, pay attention to our environment, pay attention to... What's going in our bodies, on our bodies, what we're breathing, what we're drinking, and and become aware of that, so we can make those better choices. It's very hard to make good choices for your health if you don't know what is actually poisoning you every day in your water, and your food, and your air, right? So that's why yeah. I know you and I do the work that we do. It's it's doing the research and then educating, and sharing with people, so at least they can make better decisions for their health. I want to go. I want to sh- go quick. back to the cord blood. Th- i want to go back yeah, to cord blood thing real quick and then and then yeah please respond You because you you glossed over it and and i've actually done videos on this and i find that a lot of people have no idea number one and and they also think i'm lying when i talk about it so i want to just reiterate what you said babies are being born today and this study was done by the ewg that previously before this everybody thought that the cord the umbilical cord actually shielded the baby from toxins and chemicals and carcinogens that were inside the mother's body, inside the mother's blood. But what they found is when they actually tested the umbilical cords of uh, multiple babies, they found hundreds, literally over 200 cancer-causing and, and endocrine disrupting and neurological uh neuroendocrine disruptors inside the baby's cord blood so what they realize and then that's going directly into the baby and now we're having all these babies with born or within the first few years autoimmune diseases cancers um chronic health conditions all kinds of problems and what they're realizing is the toxins that the mother is actually taking in unknowingly unknowingly and unknowingly into into her body are passing into the baby in utero. And then that baby is coming into the planet birth and having all these health defects, most likely from my research, directly caused from all of those toxins that are passing into that baby in utero. And then they're born and then they're fed all kinds of garbage very often as well. Uh, Baby formulas and things that are filled with all kinds of processed junk and sugars and all of that. So It just compounds on top of it but i want to share that because there is scientific research behind that a lot of people don't realize it and it is you know and there's something and there are things we can do about it as well but we need to realize that that's actually happening right now hey thanks for listening to this episode i want to take a quick second and let you know about something really special i recently updated i think uh, you might benefit greatly from something i think you might enjoy and want to take a look at and it is my book called the panacea cleanse it's a powerful 12-day plant-based detoxification and healing guide it's already hit number one in four categories on amazon there's thousands of people that have done this cleanse and i've read so many testimonials from it let me read you one really quick aaron said i did the panacea cleanse and followed your instructions closely I had amazing results. I stayed healthy while everyone around me, my kids and family, were getting very ill from a virus. I also lost some weight, and my menstrual cycles are much less painful. I also don't have bad headaches anymore. Thanks for the information you put out. She's just one of thousands who have gained tremendous benefit from this cleanse. If you want to improve the quality of your life and your health, clean out your organs, clean out your digestive tract, help lose weight, and burn fat, and basically give you more energy, help you feel alive, go check out the Panacea Cleanse, P-A-N-A-C-E-A, the Panacea Cleanse on Amazon. It's like 12 bucks or something like that. And you can follow it day by day. It's got a recipe list. It's got a shopping list. It's got everything you need in there to follow this powerful cleanse. It took me about two years to create it my wife and I have done it multiple times. It's been amazing in our own lives, and I'm happy to share it with you. So uh, go check it out. If you're interested, the Panacea Cleanse, it's on Amazon. Thanks, and let's get back to the show. Yeah, and it's it's pointing to the, the larger point here, which is that, every decision
0: that we make as a society as an individual has as a knock on effect there's a domino effect right and then we end up in this in this environment where we say how did this happen right how do we undo this right and we have all these industries that are built up on on these perceptions that that there's they're not that bad right and so um you know i, I wanted to kind of make a point you 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 mentioned um kind of the the energy aspect. And this is, I don't know if you know this, but I was an energy efficiency engineer, right? Before I got into the health role, I was a mechanical engineer. And and one of the main things that I did uh, during my 10-year career was I would go into buildings, whether it be, let's say a high school, for example, and we would, we would do all kinds of analysis on the energy usage of these, of these schools, right? So we would look at rooftop units and cooling units. And, you know, we'd look at lighting and we look at the control systems and we look at basically everything that's using energy, how it's using energy, how much is, is kind of wasted in this process. And then what is the cost for, uh, introducing new technologies or new units or restructuring the system in such a way that we can save energy and pay for the the investment and then the governments would give us money for to help do that or give the school money to help invest in that and that was what we did right and when i got into that work i thought this is fantastic right like it it fits my personality which is um before that i was into kind of uh quality control engineering. So I'm always looking for efficiencies and how do we improve, right? Like that's just kind of my nature, that's what I do. That's kind of how I walk through the world. Um, Not very good at creating, but really good at improving something that has already been created. And so uh, we would look at these systems and we would do all kinds of analysis. And then we'd, we'd, we'd implement some strategies. And what we, and then from there, after the new systems were installed, the new units were installed, we did all this new stuff. Then what we do is we track. We track the energy that was usage from then on so we could calculate how much energy was saved over the previous X number of years, right? And we had to prove this to the various government bodies so that we could get the grants and all these things. And what, what we noticed was we would institute, let's just say, from a, let's say a, a thought perspective, a perfect system, right? In other words, you, if we do this this way, we're going to save X amount of energy, 20% more energy every year, 30% more energy every year. Well, then what we noticed as we tracked, we didn't save 30%. Why? It's because it's how the building was being used. So in other words, we would put these sensors in the classrooms that would, they're CO2 sensors. In other words, they would detect the level of CO2 and they'd let the CO2 rise to a point You can't have CO2 too high because that's bad for health, right? So there's a a whole code around that. But then what we do, there's also a code around energy efficiency. And so one of the aspects of the code was you need to let CO2 rise enough so that you're not adding too much outside air, which which has to be heated or cooled. So if you anytime you add extra outside air, you're going to have to heat it or cool it, which which requires energy. So you want to minimize that. So they'd let the CO2 rise to a point and then kick on outside air, right? So all these things. Well, what happens if the teacher says, I wanna open the window? So they open the window and they open all the windows cause it's a nice day and we're letting the air in. Well, that totally screws with the control system, right? So all this like monitoring of outside air, totally messed up. What happens? And then, and then same thing with lights, there would be motion sensors. Well, what happens if the teacher t- tapes the light because they don't want the motion sensor going off and the kids are taking a test or whatever. So there's all these things about the, and, and then sometimes, Teachers would complain that it's too hot or too cold, so the janitor, the custodian would go up into the unit. They'd change the settings on the unit or change the control settings. So in other words, we, as the, as the energy efficiency engineers, set a perfect system, and then everybody started messing with it and messing with how it was used. And they wouldn't save nearly as much energy and all this stuff. So what that taught me, it's kind of a long story to teach me that really it's what you do. It's, it's how you use the things that you're using that really matters and the ultimate way to save energy to in, to create the b- biggest opportunity of health and this is to this is the efficiency of all systems is to simplify if you look at nature it is unbelievably complex but it is simple at the same time so it's like how simple can you make things so this is what I applied now to health. It's not about taking, and I'm not picking on him here, but the Ben Greenfield approach, which is I got all these gadgets and I'll go. I mean, if I'm him and I'm playing, it's cool. I, like I enjoy that stuff, right? I got a cold plunge, I got a uh, infrared sauna, like I have a lot of these things too. But one mentality is let me buy all the gadgets and and implement them on my body. And so I can, you know, I can move my fascia better and I can I can detox better. You know, and then I can induce these cold shock proteins and heat shock proteins. And I'm doing all this stuff to my body. i got the red light. I got the UV light. I got all these things to try to induce health. Or I could simply go outside with my shirt off and go for a walk in silence, right? I don't need the meditation uh, tank thing that's five grand to give me some, you know, weird environment that's supposedly going to put me at ease and calm my mind. I can go out in a forest i can lay on the grass in a park on the on the ground i don't need a grounding pad in my in my house i can go touch the ground i can go for a swim in the ocean you know what i mean like this is what this is a different mentality and so this is a, a, it's a big part of my book it's a big part of the the series that if you look at the longevity regions around the world if you look at people who are happy and healthy they live simply They don't live in these laps of luxury with all these devices and techs. And look, I like luxury. I like tech. I like, it's fun. And there's a different way to approach life that's a little bit unfamiliar in, let's say, the, the, the major metropolises in the West. You find it a little more in small towns, but it's this way of simplicity. It's this way of slowing down. It's this way of walking through the world, recognizing that you are a part of nature, that you are a part of God, and that all you need is here, right here, right now, that we don't need to keep adding more, adding more complexity, adding more stuff, in fact, the best thing is to to take away, to strip away. I don't need to add more products in my bathroom to make my skin healthier. I need to add less things, right? So this is a, a fundamental shift, and we saw a little bit of this in the um, what's it called the the um, the the downsizing movement where everybody started getting smaller houses, the minimalist movement. You see, you see a little bit of that mentality, this idea showing up in the minimalist movement, but that that tended to be with things. Um, houses and cars. And and that's great. I, I applaud that. And we can apply that to the health world as well, right? That the most, the beneficial thing is to go outside, is to slow down, is to um, take things out of our ears, to take things out of our, our nervous system and just unplug, right? So that, that that was a big lesson that the engineering world taught me that I have I've applied to health whenever I can. So it's it's not that I am devoid of tech. It's more like recognizing that tech can be fun and it has a place. And don't forget, you know, that I'm a child of God, I'm a child of the earth, and I can just walk simply through the world. And there's numerous examples that you can you can point to throughout the world where people are doing this. They'd have nothing. And they're, they are so happy and they are so healthy. And it's remarkable to see. It's so inspiring. That's what we got to see when we did the Human Longevity Project. When we were in Costa Rica, we were in Ikaria, Greece. When we were in Okinawa, like they just live differently. And it's so inspiring. And there, there's an aspect of humanity of, of like an ancient remembering. Um, and I saw this, I see this in the indigenous world too. There's an ancient remembering of, oh yeah, like that. that's possible. And I, there's an aspect of myself that kind of remembers this way of living it's so like embedded within our nature that that it's hard to forget once you
1: see it i agree i think sometimes simple is better uh more often than not even in our very complex and complicated lives <laughs> it's
0: not sexy though
1: yeah it's not sexy but it's it, it could be a lot less stressful i'll tell you that much uh, you just made me remember i saw a video on social media this morning of Dave Asprey and he was sharing his his morning supplement routine when he travels. So I don't know if this is every day or only when he travels. He was sharing like how to take his 81 supplements that he takes in the morning easily uh, while he travels, separates them. I was like, oh, that's a great tip for people, how he did it, separate them into a bag and write AM and pack them away and then it's ready to go. Dude, it was it was a handful this big of supplements. Right. And I'm just like, I'm like 81 supplements in the morning. Like, are you kidding me? Are you, I mean, there's no way anybody could know all the potential contraindications between taking all those different supplements and all the other things you're encountering in your life. Number one, number two, the thought, I mean, biohacking is cool and there's a lot of good that has come from it and good things that come from it. But again, when do you go too far? You know, in my opinion, when it's, you're taking right? 81 supplements in the morning and if that's a daily thing, to me, that has gone way too far. We really, in my personal experience, in my own research, like 80 to 90% of our nutrition should come from our food, right? I mean, it really should, even with the argument that yes food it has less vitamins and minerals today because of the soil it's grown in yes people are eating way more processed food uh yes it's more conventionally grown and doesn't have as much of the the nutrition even with that if you eat a primarily whole food nutrient dense plant-based diet where you are getting you know um a diversity of foods you're getting vegetables and fruits and berries and legumes and nuts and seeds And all these things on a regular day-to-day basis, you still can get 80 to even, I think, 100% of your nutrition that your body needs to thrive, to live a long time, to be healthy, to fight off cancer, to fight off diseases from your food alone. Um, And Yes. I think there are supplements. Uh, I take supplements as well. I think there are supplements that can be beneficial, that can support longevity, that can help fight diseases, that can support, you know, as an athlete, for example, taking uh, supplements that help to regenerate my body. Of course, there are good supplements you can take. But when you get to that point where you're taking 81 a day, I think you've gone way too far. And then you lead people away from the simple, again, simple, the simple fact that, hey, if you just eat real foods, whole foods, ideally organic foods, on a day-to-day basis, that's gonna cover 80% of your nutritional needs, you know, 80 to 90%. And then you, that's what a supplement is meant to do, supplement your already healthy diet. You can't supplement your way to to great health it, if you're eating a shitty diet, can't. you can't. If you're eating a shitty diet, you cannot supplement your way to great health. You need a good, healthy, nutrient-dense diet first, And then you can add in some supplements to tweak and help, you know, hack, biohack, if you want to use that term, your health to the next level. It's just, I mean, that's just how it works. Yeah. Well, and there's, and and I
0: would argue that a lot of the, let's say supposed need for some of these supplements are, are actually um, only a need because we've created an environment that has uh, perpetuated that need. In other words, because we have so many toxins in our environment yeah, we may need more um, alpha-lipoic acid to help detox, right? Like there, there's there's things that are happening in our environment that are creating a need that otherwise wouldn't actually be there. You know, a, again, I point to some of these societies around the world that are that are living off of a kind of a staple diet of, of rice and beans or something close to that. It might be mung dal and and rice. It might be, but but they're very very basic diets. They're not eating a diverse um, uh, range of foods in a, in, a, in a majority of cases, but yet they don't overeat. You know, they they eat in a, in a way that is so functional, that is so uh, so aligned with their environment, and their environment isn't imposing all this need for resource. Our environments are imposing so many. Like you mentioned, the athlete that's a that's a person that that has an environment. Their sport that is an imposing a great need for extra stuff, extra resource, right? So that that person only needs that stuff because their environment that they're choosing to partake in is 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 creating that need, right? So that's what I think is happening, particularly in the West, and it's actually happening throughout the world, is that our environments, and, it, and again, it could be uh, the actual you know earth environment, or it could be whatever we're engaging with is creating a need, but without that stimuli we actually may not have so much need for all this extra stuff, right? So, and again, my evidence for that is looking around the world and suggesting that they're not, that it's not about the vitamins and minerals like we think as much. It's actually about not creating this excess need for resource that must come from additional food or supplements, right? So I I think that, again, but the bigger point here is the mentality that you're pointing to, right? And, And that we've been talking about, which is that, Okay, 81. Why 81? Why not 150, right? If, if if there's the mentality of if I take XYZ, then it's good, then why not just take more stuff? Because I can guarantee you I can find 150 things that that technically, theoretically might be beneficial to someone, right? So why not 150? Why not 300, right? So like where, it's a slippery slope of like, how do we define the boundary here for each person, right? And there's no way anybody can test for this. And all the testing is kind of suspect. They used to do it for a living. You, 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 it's, not, it's not as black and white as you think, right? right? And you there don't know- There are a lot know. of things you
1: can test in urine that aren't always totally accurate- you know, blood tests for We certain don't know the values. Yeah. We don't we don't
0: we don't know how high or how low, how much, how when, when that when to do this stuff, when to take these supplements. I mean, these are things that um, you know the ancient sciences of ayurveda and chinese medicine they studied intimately right the interaction between various herbs and compounds right when to take something right the dosage to take something and they figured out in their own system how to kind of monitor that to a, 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 at least a decent degree we're not there even with our modern technology we don't we can't test it's a we're taking a still point in time very limited window we don't know the range. We don't know the the, the biochemical or, or or genetic individuality that somebody's showing up with. So, in theoretic, you'd have to do like thirty or forty different tests just to have a just have a starting point for somebody to figure out how something like you know a, a multivitamin or you know glutathione is going to uh, theoretically affect somebody based on all these different these cues and these these environmental situations that are going on. So. Again, it's 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 not that I'm opposed to these things. It's it's about putting them in their proper context, right? right I've right. got a whole drawer over here full of supplements, so I, I I take them and I and I do I do run testing, right? And I'm also wise enough to recognize that at best this is a this is a guess. This is an educated guess, and I'm I'm assuming that they're that they're helping me in the context that I've put them in, and recognizing that there's a more fundamental way to recognize a, a health. In my world, so you know, again, where does health come from in the first place? Like that is where this question comes from for me. It's like if one recognizes the the origins of health itself, then we start to recognize that all this external stuff isn't quite as needed as we
1: as we might have thought. Have you seen the new uh, docu series? I think it's four episodes on. I think it's on Netflix. Live to a hundred about the blue zones.
0: I- I've seen it. I've seen it there, but I haven't watched it now.
1: Okay, I was gonna ask you if you uh days. Yeah. I just I was gonna ask you how how it was uh compared to you know your your uh experience going to the blue zones and filming and stuff. Like how accurate I, I should his, watch it. his, his con- I should It's watch really it. it's really good. It's really well done. Like I thought he yeah. did a great job on it. Um obviously you got people coming out of the woodworks that are saying uh this is not accurate, that's not accurate, you know. Um all the people who are against the, the notion that, you know, in all of these places, most of their diet is predominantly plants. Uh, some of them do eat some fish. Some of them do eat some meat or dairy from their, you know, the animals that they raise. But like you said, like in Nicoya, for example, like rice and beans is a staple diet, you know, in Costa Rica. And they'll add some things on top of it. But they're, you know, the whole series isn't about the plant-based diet. It's... What I liked about it actually was how they looked at all the different aspects of each um, country or each community and noticed some of the things they had in common. Where they looked at the different spiritual practices in each area. I think Okinawa they had one. I can't Shinto. remember the na- name of the word Shinto, like a like a purpose for life, right? Is it Shinto? Is that what you said?
0: Oh, that's kind of the religion. Um, the, oh, Shinto's the, the, religion. There's a word that Shinto they
1: have that's like, like, it's your purpose in life, basically. And and so Ikigai. it's very common there that they ask you, like, what is your purpose in life? Ikigai. Yeah, Ikigai, go. probably. Ikigai, yeah. So yeah. that was like one yeah. of the concepts. And they had well yeah. over a dozen different concepts spread out through the different cultures, which I thought yeah. was really well done and how they featured, you know, the diet was like one portion of like, you know, 20 different things that I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the only reason I actually I don't tend to watch any more Blue Zone or read any more Blue
0: Zone stuff is a because because I've been there, and B mostly because of the the what I see being produced about that stuff is 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 service level, and and I'm not not that's not really a knock per se. Um, But there's, I think that that's why I actually went to the blue zones to begin with and used that as a template is because I wanted to contrast the deeper aspects. And we've already gotten into some of it today here in this conversation, but in my view, it's the blue zone work was fantastic. You know, Michelle Polanis, is the demographer who really kind of did that with Dan Buettner that fantastic. I love that they brought that to the world and there's only so much that we can gain by studying them. We don't live in that environment. We will never live in that environment ever again, right? That was a somebody that's that's 100 years old today in Icaria, Greece or Sardinia in the mountains uh, of Sardinia or in Okinawa in the villages. They They grew up, right? In 1930s, 1940s, 1950s in those areas. Many of those places didn't have electricity until 1960 or 1970. So imagine growing up 50 years of your life without electricity. You didn't have refrigeration. You didn't have, you know, a freezer. You didn't have a car, right? Like you lived a totally different life, right? We talked about the cord blood. They didn't have, they didn't, they weren't the baby with 260 some odd chemicals in their cord blood. They breastfed probably till they were two or three or seven, right? They lived in an entirely different environment. And right. if we think about a human being, we form in our first basically 25 years. But but the, the most important aspect of that is prepubescent, right? So in that, in that prepubescent formation is our internal working model of the world, to use a psychology term, right? How we view the world, how we view ourselves, how we view our family, right? Our emotional traumas, all of the things. And they grew up in a totally different environment, right? And so that was part of the Human Longevity Project that I really wanted to point to was like, hey, guys, this is great, we can look at their diets. We can look at their, their practices. We can look at how they exercise. We can look, All that is wonderful, and yes, we should do that. And we live in a different world. The things that you and I have to contest with, and, and every American has to contest with, is that, well, not every, most Americans have to contest with, is that when we walk into a grocery store, we have to make a choice. Do I go get those yummy cookies that are organic? Or do I go over here to the produce aisle? right? They didn't have to make those choices. They grew up in an environment that only produced food that grows in their environment. They had to face, you know, not as uh, food shortages due to weather issues, right? Due to some seasonal drought or seasonal something, right? So they face totally different challenges and we face totally different challenges. We have to say no to the food they were just trying to get enough food and be able to share it and provide enough safety and security and, and all that, right? So that's the deeper thing that I think is important, you know? And when we, when we talk about food, I didn't meet a single vegan when we were out, okay? And yet, most people I talked with were mostly vegetarian, not exclusively. And then a lot of people, which was interesting, is they, they would, they, many would eat, whether it was goat or deer in Costa Rica or whatever, they would, pig was a common one in many places. Why pig? It's because pigs are easy to farm. They don't require a lot of space. They'll eat all your extra leftover food scraps. But 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 in Costa Rica, the pigs that they were the growing or they were farming, they would eat. They would give them avocados. They would give them. So they're even a pig has a totally different diet, and so they're consuming a pig that has a totally different diet than the pigs that we might eat or the bacon that we might eat, right? So so even that's a drastic difference, right? And and so what was interesting was they all ate kind of different levels of plant-based diet. And then many people had the the intuitive awareness that even if they ate meat when they were younger, that as they got older, they stopped eating meat because their digestion wasn't as good. They realized that plants were a better fit for them, especially as they got older, mm. right? So we saw this uh, very commonly, right? In Icaria and Sardinia, some some people would say, oh, I used to eat meat when my wife was born, but now i don't eat meat or vice versa. Right. So like there was a whole wide spectrum, but, but what was centered around their diet was plants, right? Because they control that environment so much easier. Right. And they recognized that that was better for their health. And so now imagine the other thing that nobody likes to talk about in the sort of blue zone longevity world is that let's take somebody from Sardinia in the mountains. Um, in fact, we talked to a um, historian, um, that, that that told us that their genetics were preserved, like extremely well preserved. Even when the Romans were doing their conquering, the Sardinians resisted and all this stuff. So their genetic pool was very well preserved. So now you have a population and all these populations are that way, right? Okinawa is an island, right? In Sardinia, it's this peninsula. So they, there was people that were there for centuries, if not millennia, that had the same gene pool in that same geography. So what does that mean? That means based on our understanding of epigenetics and how, and and let's say Darwinian adaptation, that over the generations, that gene pool started to really specialize for that environment, really specialized for the culture, really specialized for the foods. So now you have this gene pool that is so highly specific and specialized to the Sardinia mountains and the, the cheeses that they ate and the, and the lack of fish in the mountains and the the beans that they consumed consistently and the, and the tomatoes and, and the breads, tons of breads, right? So that gene pool was highly specialized for that same diet for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, right? So now we have to imagine, I don't know what your heritage is, Nathan, but mine's certainly not from San Diego, California, which would be kind of. The, the Mexican kind of lineage that I've this got area. some, I've got some
1: Viking, I've got some Viking in my blood. My uh, <laughs> exactly. part of my, so are you part, eating,
0: part of my family comes from,
1: uh, comes from Denmark and I did the research and I'm like, Oh yeah, our ancestors were definitely Vikings. That makes sense. Totally. Yeah. And yeah. you're
0: you're in Florida and you're eating a very diverse range of foods, right? So your environment, your food choices, everything. And not only that um, I know your kids, your kids are, are mixed. Right. And, and so, this is really interesting. Now we've got, let's say, for many people, they have mitochondria from mom who's, let's say, African, and uh, and 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 half of the gene pool is African, and then also no mitochondria from dad who's from Switzerland, and a gene pool. Now they're they're mixed, and now they're living in Costa Rica, Germany. So, like, what do we do with that? Right. So, and I'm not saying this is good or bad. In fact, it may be a good thing that we have kind of this more adaptable aspect to ourselves. I'm not sure, but, but, but there's an interesting aspect and then, and then they didn't, because they didn't have the medical aspect um, uh, systems in these, in these regions of, of the blue zones, a lot of people would die when they were younger, whether it was, it's not, wasn't so much at birth, like people think like, yes, people died at birth, but it, it wasn't so dramatic like the difference but but people did die when they were young and and people would get injured and they would die for various reasons whether it was infections or what have you so now what again this is the more morbid aspect of longevity in those regions but now we had let's say from a darwinian perspective a weaker gene pool or somebody that wasn't as strong genetically we have this is this is a truth that we all have in our modern world too if those people weren't going to live as long, now you have a more let's say optimized gene pool for health and longevity that starts to form over hundreds of thousands of years. And so and because there wasn't a lot of people leaving, then that gene pool again is, is sort of preserved right so and there wasn't a lot of people entering. Right. But if you look at the the United States, like we are such a hodgepodge of all kinds of stuff. And everybody's leaving. Even in Sardinia now, the younger people are leaving to the big cities. They're leaving into the mainland of Italy. So now it's it's being diluted. Everything is starting to be lost in these blue zones. So it's not even so the ways of life are being lost. The genetic preservation, so to speak, is being lost. So well, the amount of the amount of sense.
1: Yeah, the percentage of centenarians in these areas are also decreasing significantly. I mean, yeah. Okinawa, you know, uh, which for no, a long time totally had Isn't that. McDonald's? Yeah, it's basically, and, and, you know, and they also have, you know, so much of the Western world that has been imposed, right. you know, fast food and these kinds of things that have been brought to those communities that, you know, the amount of centenarians there, it's it's almost not even a blue zone anymore, technically.
0: Right. Um, it's not. And we had, we actually had to go into the rural areas because the main cities in Okinawa look like San Diego. They look like everything I'm used to. And so this is exactly it. So I actually think that we're not going to have a blue zone um, anymore. I think it's, I I, I don't think it's going to happen because the westernized, let's say more modern way of living has infiltrated everything now. Um, I don't think that we're going to find a region um in fact, when I talked to Michelle Poulan, he was actually looking at Cuba because it was so isolated because of the sort of the communist aspect. And so it was isolated from the Western world. And so he wanted to look there. I don't think he actually found the buzom, but his, his intuition was pretty, pretty good. And they have a little bit longer life.
1: Well, the one, the, the one thing that gives me hope is the Loma Linda community, which is right in the middle of the city, right? You're like in your basic, it's right at, it's right outside LA, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. And you're, you know, and, and that's a modern community. They drive cars, they live in our Western world. They, you know, they they work, they're in buildings, they're around toxins 24-7. They're basically living a normal, modern life in California, yet have been designated as a blue zone, as a community of people I, because kind of, how of how many centenarians I, live there, right?
0: Yeah. So here's, I love that. So you're bringing up a really good point. Um, And I talked to Michelle about this and he said that, it's not technically a blue zone. He calls it a gray zone because mm. it, w- what he defined as a blue zone was a region and all the people in the region. So the, the cool thing about Loma Linda is that it's actually kind of, I've been there many times. It's kind of the armpit. It's really not a nice place in my opinion, like that part of California. But the the the, Loma, the what's really fascinating about Loma Linda is the Seventh-day Adventists. Yeah. So that population specifically, which there's a lot of them in Loma Linda, but Low Melinda is not exclusively uh, Seventh-day. So if you take all the population of Loma Linda, it's not really a blue zone. They actually included it in the original work because they wanted to have a U.S. city so that it would attract more U.S.
1: people. Yeah, but, it's technically again, the Seventh-day Adventist community that yeah. lives in Loma Linda and around that area, right? Yeah,
0: But that is the cool point, is that the way that they are living shows us that they have exceptional longevity despite this kind of more modern way of living. But again, they, they take days off, right? They're very religious. They, they have a a good sense of community. They, they are, they are actually into their health, right? So the way that they're, they're, they're vegetarian. So they, they really take their health as a part of their spiritual practice. And so that is the perfect example. That's why I love Loma Linda is because they show us that, exactly we can't live like the blue zones we'll never live like the blue zones we don't have that environment to to to, for us to thrive in and yet we can still do it right like we can still institute this lifestyle of longevity and what does that entail what does that look like in the west and i think that was my main thing is how do we how do we create longevity in the west right that's different than the
1: blue zone regions so what's your what's like your personal goal with longevity like what what do you want to get out of this life and see yourself living you know do you want to be a hundred plus like
0: yeah i'm I'm more curious like i i I actually don't have a desire to live a long time per se right i want to live in the moment as much as i can so if that means living a long life great but but somebody could theoretically live to a hundred and completely miss the boat Right. And not be present um, to that process. Right. So, and yet somebody can live to 60 and be so present along the way that the 60 years they got were a true 60 years. You know what I mean? So, so to me, it's like, how can I continue to deepen my my, my presence in the moment? How can I appreciate what I have along the way? So it's really for me, I, I have zero sights on how long I live. I actually don't really care. Because that's that's always going to be in the future. What I have to the only the only thing I have control of is how can I be here now and enjoying my days here. I could I could have this whole plan for longevity and get hit by a bus tomorrow right? So for me, it's it's really about having that perspective. Um, would I love to live that long in a healthy way? Absolutely. I want to see what the world's like. I want to see what cool technology comes. I want to see what what cool philosophies and, and environmental shifts. And I, I think the world is an ever-changing, amazing place that has me excited about what's coming. So I'm I'm eternally optimistic about where we're going and what we're going to do. I see that the world is only getting better, even if it feels more chaotic um, and seems more out of control. Um, So I'm excited for what's to come. So that's, that's what, if, if, if there's any forward looking, it's more about that. It's like, Ooh, I can't wait to see what happens. Right. It's like, it's like watching a movie or something, right? Like that's kind of how I feel. But the real practice for me is how, how can I get better, at being present. How can I get better at being right here, right now, fully in my body, right? For many of my years, I've lived out of my body. And I think some people who have a little bit of embodiment training understand what I mean. And if if you haven't explored that realm, it may not totally register what that even means. I didn't know what it meant for the longest time. And as soon as I started practice, practice of getting into my body, then I recognized, oh my God, I've been living essentially out of my body my entire life. Um, I've been living up here in my head, in my mind at best. And, and now dropping into my body, it's a different experience walking through the world. So for me, that's the practice. It's, it's really about doing that. And then from a longevity perspective, I guess you could say that the, that the goal for me is to to pass things on, right? I mean, I've got a little one, um, so and I and I have all kinds of people that I share my knowledge and experience with. So, how can I share what I've learned with the people that are younger? And to me, that's what I want to see. Honestly, for the for the West is this reestablishment of elders, right? The respect of elders and elders willing to step into that role and, and actually view it as a role to be stepped into. um,
1: Because I just don't see a lot of that in
0: our our modern world.
1: Yeah. When you, when you spend a lot of time around uh, indigenous cultures and native Americans um, as I have, and I know you have as well, that's, that's a big conversation that comes up because that's, that's a big part of indigenous cultures, not just here in the West, but all around the world, which is honoring the elders, respecting the elders, and as they age and and eventually get to a point where you know they are not as mobile and they do have limited mobility and limited health that you then the family's taking care of them that the community's taking care of them and they have their cognitive function to then share their wisdom of life with you. And so it's, it's something, we have, yeah. And the, yeah, it's crazy. It's like, we've gotten so far away from that here in the West where it's like, Oh, you get old and decrepit. We send you away in a home and, you know, get you out of here. And, and as people age, that's what they're worried about is losing their cognitive function. And, and rightly so. I mean, Alzheimer's and dementia is, is significantly on the rise. You know, um, neurological diseases are significantly on the rise all these chronic health conditions and then people are so you know struggling financially just to barely take care of themselves that then they can't even imagine taking care of an elder family member so it's like yeah get them out of here and uh we love you we're but we're sorry we can't take care of you you know you need to go a, burden. To a home or somewhere a yeah, burden you're on a society. Burden. right and sure. so i think that's a, that is a two two-part focus as as you were you know briefly talking about which is one as we age we should think about taking the best care of ourselves we possibly can so we can age with wisdom we as my friends george and Sadina capanelli say who run an organization called age nation you know um in the second half of life learning how to age gracefully so when you're 60 70 80 90 if you live that old that you have your cognitive function you have your health you are not a burden on your family or your community and you do the best that you can within your control, not everything's in our control, right, you could end up in a wheelchair or something could happen, we know all these things. You could get struck by lightning, you know, So, sort of leg bitten off by a shark, who knows, you know, God forbid any of those things happen, but who knows. And, but you have the wisdom to impart, maybe some laughter to share with people, stories, you know, things to to help share with your family and community, and then we, as individuals, as children of our parents, of our elders, think of okay, when they do age, how can we be in a position to support them, to learn from them, to respect them, to you know, care for them just like they cared for us when we were, you know, in diapers? If if you do, you know, those of you tuning in do have obviously somebody cared for you when you were in diapers, um, when the uh you wouldn't have made it so. I think that is—it's uh, a beautiful thing. I've been talking about it with a lot of Native American tribes in council, in conversations, as well as a lot of just younger spirit, you know, people in into spirituality, uh, having this conversation for years and years because I think it's—it's it's incredibly important, dude. We have the baby boomers, who are—we're going to have the largest, um, oldest group of human beings on the planet, or here in the West, in all time that we know of, coming up very soon, and. Most people, you know, are not in a position to take care of themselves or have someone take care of them. So it's, it's, a, real, it's a real concern.
0: Yeah. And and I think, um, again, it's like it, there's such a, a fundamental shift with this whole process, right? Because who are the elders that we're returning to, right, as young people? Right, I, there's nothing more that I get excited about than having um, an elder that I can look to, and I'm not talking somebody that's 90. I'm talking about somebody that's 60. That's just a little bit older than me, right? And it's it's um, we have probably I think a mutual friend, Keisha Ewers, Dr. Keisha Ewers. Um, I talked to her about this, and and she's at that point in her life where she's stepping into the elder role, and she's embracing it. She doesn't see it as oh, that means if you call me an elder, that means you think I'm old. No, no, no. She goes, I understand what this means. This is a great honor. This is a this is a duty. This is um something that that she doesn't take lightly. And she steps into it, recognizing that that she can make a huge difference at playing that role, right? Like I'm, I'm viewing it as a role more than an age, right? It's not yeah. an age thing. Somebody can step into an elder role at the age of 40 or 50, perhaps, right? Like it's not about being old. It's about stepping into a role and recognizing what your role is. And, and so that's to me what I'm excited about. When I go into indigenous communities, when I go into these you know, let's say even, I'd say even more into the East, they don't have to be indigenous, but, but like in the Ayurveda community, the Chinese medicine community, in the martial arts communities, in, in the spiritual communities, there, there is a more hierarchical aspect of what they do. And it is largely dependent on experience, right. And capability. So, you know, you look to the people who are above you because they are more capable because they have more experience, because they have wisdom to impart, to make your life easier, to let, make your life Better, maybe not even easier. That may have made the right word. Better, right? They're, they're, they're helping you get to where you really want to go, right? And recognize who you are and what this is all about. And to me, that's what I, I, I love being in the presence of those beings who have, who have consciously stepped into that role as an elder, because I know that they know what that means, and that they can show me the way, right? And and as as young ones, we just don't know, right? I, my my four year old son, he doesn't know that I that I'm that I'm his elder, that I'm actually guiding him to what I believe is for his best interest. Right? He thinks I'm just, you know, uh, taking something away that he can't. That he's taking, I'm not letting him play with the iPad, right, or something like that, right? Like he just he gets upset, right? But there's a there's an aspect of what I'm doing for his own good, right? So. As we mature, hopefully we, at some point we recognize, oh, this elder is looking out for me. They have my best interest at heart. And it is up to me to make the choice to uh, an agency, right? To have that agency to make that choice um, to follow their guidance and to, to listen um, to what they have to say. So there's a humility that, that must come in. There's a, there's a respect that must come in um, for this to, 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 to work. And it's, it's, it's two people playing a role Right. It's the elder stepping into that role. And it's it's the young one that is looking up to the elder in, in with respect and with with honor and grace. Right. So um I just don't see that in our society. It hasn't been inculcated. And I'm not blaming the elders and I'm not blaming the young people. They're just that relationship has been a little bit lost. Yep. There's been a, a, a centralized focus on individualism, right? And the ability to, to handle yourself by yourself. Right. And we're still seeing that um and i think that's a it's a big detriment right it's it, there's an aspect of of individualism that is good and it can be taken to its extreme which is, is inherently bad for the individual and for society
1: yeah and i'm just um you talked a little bit about presence earlier which i think is one of those essential elements for all of us to experience a lot more of in our lives if we want to cultivate more wisdom as we age and be able to share that with others. I know that, you know, a daily meditation practice and Qigong practice and, and really focusing on presence in my life for the past, you know, almost two decades now has been essential in my own well-being. And I still have a lot more work to do, you know, And but I know that without that practice of finding times and places throughout the day to be present, to connect with my breath, to meditate to turn everything off and go sit outside with no phone no nothing for 10 or 15 minutes in the sun and just relax and deep breathe and just think and be present in the moment like taking those times throughout the day and having scheduled times to do it has been you know unbelievably helpful in in my own journey and i think people forget how powerful they really are the power that you have inside your own mind inside your own soul inside your own capacity to connect with god and receive wisdom and guidance you know you you don't get that when you're constantly busy worrying about the past or the future and and never taking time to pause and breathe and just relax and find that stillness and that presence because that is the doorway into wisdom right that is the doorway into receiving downloads that that tell you go right instead of left call this person and do this thing and take care of this and all of a sudden, you know, you get this snowball effect where your life is headed in a really good direction when before maybe it wasn't in such a good direction. Maybe before it was so full of stress or full of anxiety. I know in my own case, you know, you're dealing with addiction and alcohol addiction and drug addiction, all that stuff early on, it was just, it was a snowball effect into a negative direction, you know, death or, or prison was where I was headed. And it took me really getting serious about meditation and really diving deep into spiritual practices and really, Creating multiple practices throughout my day, where when I started 16, 17 years ago, you know, I would meditate for hours at a time. Well, now, you know, running multiple businesses and volunteering on nonprofits and having two children and, you know, training as an athlete, like I don't have three, four, five hours a day to meditate. So, you know, I do 10 minutes in the morning and 10 minutes between you know, interviews and 10 minutes in the afternoon. And when I wake up and when I go to sleep, it's like you bring it in throughout your day. And it's those moments of stillness, of presence, of of peace, of practice, where then it starts to trickle into the rest of your day, right? You might find yourself worrying about the future or the past. and It's like, oh, it doesn't matter. Let me be present right here, right now, and just focus on what I can do right now. And I think, and I know, in fact, for me, one of the reasons... I I love CrossFit. I found CrossFit like six years ago. And I think why a lot of people love CrossFit, even if they don't know it, is because when you're in that intense or any kind of high intensity interval training, when you're in that intense physical and mental demanding experience, whether it's for five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, you can't be worrying about the past or the future. There's no ability to do that. You are in the moment in the moment the whole time for the 10 15 20 minutes of intense working out all you're thinking about is what i can do right now in this moment and and i think that's a powerful way to both take care of your physical health but also you know your mental practice of being in the moment so if you can do it in a workout an intense workout you can also do it uh, like i do it in my ice bath in the morning right i do it i find many many different times throughout the day and People tuning in can do the same thing. Find those times throughout the day where you can be present and and connect to your heart, connect to your soul, and just sit with the moment. And some people go, Oh, yeah, that's boring. That's stupid. Why would I do that? Well, that's why I'm giving some context, right? And and I'd love for you to share on your experience with that. It took me a long time to realize the benefits of meditation. I felt them immediately. I didn't know what was actually happening until years later. And what I found out years later was from all my practice of meditation and Qigong and breathwork, et cetera, was that it it started building this container of awareness and this container of resilience and this container of self-control, right? So that when you're confronted with a challenging situation, you're confronted with a challenging relationship, a fight, an argument the loss of a business, a lawsuit, whatever, a physical health condition, whatever, you are significantly more prepared to handle that with less stress and more effectiveness. And that's been, you know, I've noticed that in my life again and again and again, when these things that maybe would wipe somebody out completely, it's like, yeah, I stressed out for a few hours, a day or two, and then boom. The solution's right there. Yeah. It comes easily, and you find it and follow it. But that, I know that could never have happened before unless I had those practices along the way. What, you know, what, what's been your experience with that?
0: Well, you, you remind me of a, of a quote that um, a man in, in Sardinia, I believe, said, a 98-year-old guy. And he, he told me, um, you know, when I was younger, the body was busy and the mind was still. Now the problem I see is that the mind is busy and the body is still. Right? And I thought, wow, like that is such an, uh, an insightful thing to say because it's not about exercise. It's about moving the body and stilling the mind, right? Like you mentioned that with CrossFit. People still do that with gardening, with playing with their dog, with playing with their children, like whatever they may love to do that involves moving the body, it, it has an inherent quality to relax the mind, right? And what, what do you see around us, right? We see we're, we're not moving as much and our minds are going nuts. Right. And so, um, you know, really what I was thinking about as you were, as you were talking was the process of deconditioning, right? Human beings are the most adaptable creatures. I think that we, that we know of, right. We can adapt to different environments and different, uh, temperatures and different foods Like we are so unbelievably adaptable. Um, and that's a, that's a very valuable trait. And the the flip side of that is that we are conditionable. In other words, no matter what environment we get into, we adapt to it. And then we, we are conditioned mentally, physically, emotionally, et cetera, genetically even. And so when we get conditioned to these things that you were talking about, right? And it, it may be conditioned to certain foods or drugs or um, behaviors that are not desirable, um, or it may be even more subtle, right? The way that we're thinking, the, 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 the daily habits that we're engaged in are so conditioned that m- many people have a hard time just sitting still. Look at a a, a young one these days. Look at a 15-year-old or 16-year-old and just ask them. In fact, I think I heard about this. There's a new movement. I thought it was so funny. Um, What is it called? I think they call it silent walking. And this is like a thing. It's like a, it's like a, it's like it's going crazy on TikTok. Like, oh, I'm going go my silent walking today, as and if they it's fit, like and they shoot. film
1: themselves while they're walking silent. <laughs> well,
0: that was part of it that, that people <laughs> people were laughing about. But but it's it, this is and look on one hand, I applaud the youngsters and what yeah, they that's do a.
1: I mean, in Buddhism, silent. I did you know I learned this in San Diego, fifteen years ago. We did walking meditations all the time, right? But um, anyway, go and, ahead. and
0: they're not even taking it that deep. So, um, but. At least they're starting to this idea, but I think it's hilarious, right? Like that's the level of, of, um, chaos that's going on inside the mind of someone who was born in the cell phone era, in the internet era, in the AI era, right? Is that they, m- many of them and many of us as adults can't just sit still. And many people listeners listening to this probably have tried meditating and they're like, I can't do it. Right, And it's not that they can't, but the the feeling is is that I can't because there's so much going on in the mind that it's actually uncomfortable. There's actually a a stress signal, a fear signal, a danger signal in the mind body that arises of, oh my God, I'm not safe by sitting here. And that's not the conscious thought. That's what the body mind is perceiving of, this is not safe to just sit here. I got to go do something, right? And so if you were that type of person who's tried meditating and you're like, I can't do it, it just ain't for me. Then, then there's a number of ways to do that, right? You mentioned a few, going to an ice bath, right? That's that's awful for, for many people at the beginning. And it becomes this a very addictive thing. And it has a lot of the same characteristics of meditation and quieting the mind. And a somatic experience, not only that, it increases actual um resiliency in the body and the mind, of course, right? And then you can do walking meditations, right? You can uh you can do yoga, you can do breath work. Breath work is a fantastic tool for those who feel like they can't meditate because there's a there's it's a you can control your breath, right? So it's it's consciously controlled. And B, there's a somatic, there's a body experience that can happen. And uh, it quiets the mind and the nervous system, and it gives you something to focus on, right? So that's the beautiful part is that most people with meditation, they, they need something for their mind to focus on, and the breath can be that thing, even if it's not in a meditative state. So there's all kinds of tools to, to do this, but, but again, fundamentally, what we're talking about is deconditioning. We're, we're getting rid of these old behavioral patterns, thought patterns, nervous system patterns, emotional patterns, and there's a lot of things that can do that, right? So uh, you mentioned a handful of them. And, and I think anything that's going to incorporate the body is going to be more effective than otherwise, especially for many of us today, right? And so if, you're, if, you're, if if meditation's not your thing, find a way to incorporate the body, whether it's a Pilates class or a yoga class or a CrossFit class, right? Or a breathwork class or play, or, you know, anything that's going to, any kind of movement um, uh, aspect, you will start to decondition, right? And then, and this is what I love about changing behavioral patterns, find things that you're doing throughout the day and start to shift the patterns, right? This is why so many people um, have a different experience when they go on vacation or when they um, go any kind of trip. It's because the entire environment's different so their behavioral pattern shift their mental pattern shift their emotional pattern shift right so so it's it's really a process of deconditioning and when we can start to decondition now as you mentioned the container for what's really here starts to grow right that all the external stimuli and all the external aspects of reality start to fall into the background and what starts to show up is me and my awareness and who i am and what i am and what i'm capable of and how easy it is just to be here Right. So, um, it's a big process. I mean, I, I think it's a lifelong process and there's that first little part that if you can just kind of get over the hump, then it starts getting a lot more fun, a lot easier. And then life just starts to organize around you. Like, that's the cool thing about, you know, that you hear about the secret and, and all these, uh, money people talking about, you know, money, makeover, and money, mental makeovers. And, you know, they're trying to change the prosperity and the happiness and the, and, and the, the experience in the world. Well, that starts to naturally shift um, as you start to decondition the old habits and old thoughts and old emotions and old nervous system patterns, the reality around you starts to change, right? And like, this is why I love the spiritual practices, the qigongs, the embodiment practices, the breathwork stuff, the yogas, all this stuff starts to change the internal state and reality organizes around you. That's the cool thing. You don't have to project your new state onto the world, it naturally starts to shift. And like, that's the, when, when you start to notice that, then it's like, it, it gives me goosebumps. It's like, that to me was always what I was waiting for as, a, as as a young one. You know, when I was younger and trying to figure out life, I had to impose myself on where I got to fix something, I got to do something, I got to learn something. I have to, I basically have to carve my environment to what I wanted it to be, right? And And that worked to a degree. But what I found was so much easier and so much more effective was that as I start to decondition myself, my reality starts to naturally organize itself around me in a way that's more harmonious, that's so much easier, that's so much more fun, that's so much uh, more exciting, right? Like I'm not, I don't project my thoughts as much onto the world. And so, therefore, anything can come in. Right. So it's it's such a cool reality to live in. And, and again, I, I feel like I'm just scratching the surface, but I've recognized at least a point of it to enjoy it and to, to keep doing some of this deconditioning so that reality can organize in the way that's into my best interest.
1: I've been reading more about uh, the Essenes lately mm. and their actual yeah. daily practices. They have seven morning practice one every for every day in the morning. Uh, one for every day in the evening, one for every day at noon, um, and then every seventh day, the Sabbath, and then every seventh Sabbath, the Great Sabbath. All of these spiritual and physical health and mental emotional practices, where they're you know literally connecting with, what, you know what they call the angels, uh, like the angel of the sun, the angel of the earth, the heavenly father, the the angel of the, of. Uh, like the you know nature the food etc, cetera, et cetera, and literally meditating on each of these different aspects, so opening themselves to it and then meditating upon each one um, and a different one for each day and as i've been you know reading through their practices more and more, it's really cool because I'm like, yeah, this is exactly what we do in qigong right so i've once i once I discovered qigong um uh the first time I experienced Qigong, I didn't even know it was technically Qigong was in, I was living in San Diego and this was probably, you know, somewhere between 14 and 16 years ago. And then I met a, a, a master Qigong teacher, Ming Tong, you know him, um, in Santa Fe, New Mexico, probably, I think it was in 2015 uh, or 16 maybe. And then I started studying with him and uh, went to his retreats and started practicing daily. And, and have been practicing ever since. And what's really interesting to me is how this practice that's thousands of years old, some say 5,000, 7,000, 10,000 plus years old, you know, there's documented uh, practices of Qigong uh, all the way back to the Yellow Emperor, for example. Um, those are the same kinds of practices that the Essenes practice. It's this connection to... Uh, the The natural world around us it's this connection to opening ourselves to the energies of the universe, the energies of God, you know the the energies of the natural world around us for our health and healing for our awakening for our longevity, for our happiness, for our joy, and then meditating and reflecting on these things daily and um you know the Essenes are from about the second century bc so a thousand years ago and you know here they are um practicing the same things that people in ancient china practiced five seven ten thousand years ago you know so it's amazing how these practices and they call it something different but it's the same thing and then you go to india you know you've you've uh, um you've done a lot of work uh, with Ayurveda, right, and research on Ayurveda and these ancient Indian health and spiritual practices. And you see a lot of similarities in the ancient yogic practices as well. And so people have been, our ancestors from all around the world, have been tuning into this wisdom for centuries and discovering that there is so much more in the intangible realms of our existence that we can connect to To accelerate and activate our own inner healing, our own inner awakening, so we can live with more joy and health and happiness and longevity, and I think, I know for sure in my own life, that has been unbelievably beneficial to me in so many ways, with my businesses, with my work, with my health, with my family, my kids, my wife, Um, and I think it is also something that our culture desperately needs right now, is the ancient practices brought forth into our modern time so that we can live with more peace. Stop having so many wars. Stop living in so much fear and anxiety and stress and depression. Stop living with so much chronic disease and actually live healthy, happy lives. I mean, I really believe every person is here has the opportunity and ability and the right to live a healthy, happy, peaceful life. And yet. There's so many things that are preventing that. But with these kinds of practices and traditions, uh, we, we could change all of that. Um, and that's, you know, I find that incredible. I find it fascinating.
0: I feel like I, I, I wanted to record that as a commercial for my book. Because <laughs> that, was, that was the essence of what I wrote the book for and actually created the series for, which is that there's ancient practices, guys, and they come from all traditions all over the world. And they may look different, or sound different, or may have different names, but that's exactly the things that we need to bring forth from the past. And then also, yeah, here's some cool new stuff that we have too, right? But it's like let's not forget about that. Like there's a there's an indigenous um, teacher ma- master from from uh, Colombia that he uh, that I have learned from throughout the years, and he talks about fasting as a spiritual payment. So I love these these like names that they mm. give these things right like it's a spiritual payment right or um communing with nature is kind of a spiritual payment right in other words there's these things that we should do in order to to be grateful for for what we're given and to give back to nature to give back to god right And so what a a cool way to think about it. And and isn't it funny that that fasting as a spiritual payment is is practiced in a lot of indigenous American cultures. It's uh, been known about in Ayurveda and Chinese medicine. It's known about in all the religious teachings as something that's really important for not only spiritual health, but also physical, emotional, and mental health, right? And then now we have Western science talking about what fasting does to the body. And it's a little bit more of a materialistic point of view Nevertheless, it still gives us confirmation that all these traditions, all these cultures, all these religious groups have known for thousands of years that taking a break from food and even taking a break from water and food is beneficial for us. Right. So, again, it's, 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 it's the, it's some of the core message that I, that I've been bringing out with my work in the book and in the series, which is that like we don't need more. Sometimes we need less. Sometimes we need to take away food. It's not even switching to organic uh, kale. It's actually taking away the kale too. Like let's let's actually take things away, and and we recognize there's a benefit. And you know, when we eat food, you know it's it's not just about what food we're eating. It's how much we're eating. It's how often we're eating, right? It's how we're eating the food. Are we chewing it thoroughly? Well, masticating it and getting saliva coating all the molecules. Fuels, eating it slowly enough so that hydrochloric acids in our stomach signaling our, our, our whole digestive tract to do uh, the rest of the work, right? We're, we're eating even foods in combinations, which is talked about in many cultures. And now we're recognizing the truth of, of that because things digest at different timings. So there's all kinds of wisdoms that we can bring forth. And yet so much of it is so simple right? We've we've invented all these amazing digestive enzymes and done all this cool stuff with how to increase uh, digestive capacity, or we could eat less quantity, eat when we're hungry. In other words, our body is ready to receive food. All the signals are there, right? We eat slowly enough so that the body can actually metabolize the food that we're giving it, and then we stop before we've overeaten. You do that, and you're going to accomplish more than any supplement protocol can ever give you right and then and 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 by the way what i just talked about there holds true even if you're eating a mcdonald's hamburger right so that is a fundamental truth even more so than which
1: food i consume yeah but you can't you can't people can't not eat more when they something like McDonald's because they literally that's have of your, that's, millions yes. of dollars of, you know, they paid a scientist yes. to put the chemicals yes. and flavors and preservatives and sugars in the food to, to trick your brain into making you eat more food. Right. So it's this like, it's what too. you're saying is a hundred percent true, hundred percent true. And yet people don't realize how manipulated that they're Physiological systems are that their brain is by these corporations that are intentionally investing in scientists that are learning that have learned and they've known this for decades, how to get you to eat more of their shitty food, right? Like that's, that's what they do. That's what the more you eat, the more money they make and the more poison you have put in your body. Totally. And so it takes even more of what you're saying and what I'm saying it takes even more willpower, even more meditation, even more practice to become aware so that you can, you know, be in tune with your body and stop putting those foods into your body because they're only going to, you know, lead to more disastrous health outcomes.
0: Yeah, you're totally right. And this is, this is um, even a greater reason to to do all those other things. And, and what's interesting too, is that, you know, when it comes to something like fast food, which you know, I ate some of when I was younger, right? I drank soda um, on occasion.
1: I was a but fast, food, I was a I... fast food junkie growing up, dude. I was full <laughs> yeah. on addicted to it, yeah.
0: But they don't even cross my mind. I don't even know where they are in town. Like if I if I were to drive past one, my brain it's like almost doesn't even see it. Isn't right? it so weird like...
1: when you do see one a fast food restaurant? And you're like, that's still a, like 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 my someone said something about Taco Bell the other day, and I was like, Taco Bell still exists, like. Are you serious? Yeah. Like in my mind, like those places don't even exist anymore out in the world. It's funny how your brain is like shut off to those things because I couldn't tell you where a single fast food restaurant is where we live. I mean, yeah. and, I it's, don't...
0: and it's it's again, it kind of speaks to my point of like almost reality starts to organize in a different way. Yep. Right. It's not that the reality shifted. It's like it's our perception.
1: Reality. Yeah, that's
0: right. It starts to shift, and so um, that's that's the amazing part is that uh, when you start to eat better. Things happen with your emotional, mental, and spiritual health. When you start to do spiritual practices, things happen with your with your physical, mental, and emotional health and your choices you're making, right? So everything has this unbelievable interaction. And it's why that, you know, for any of us who are trying to improve our health, we don't have to do all the things. We just got to start somewhere. And as you start and you build, everything starts to, to build on itself and you create this amazing foundation for, for what healthy living starts to look like, right? And, and that impacts everything around you. So um, again, I think it, it, it comes down to the choices that we make and the awareness that we have. And, and I'll go back to the point I made earlier about chewing our food thoroughly and eating slowly and eating at the right time of day, right? Circadian rhythm wise, You know, eating not eating a huge meal right after we just did a CrossFit workout because your body's not ready to receive and digest. It's caught in sympathetic overdrive. So there's timings of all this stuff, right? and so as we start to get become aware of this stuff we start making better choices as we make better choices it has it has downstream impacts on everything i was caught when i was younger in a place of constant struggle with my health I, that in other words my focus was so narrowed on getting better and and fixing the problems that I had with my health that I actually couldn't follow my dreams. It was, I I shouldn't say couldn't, it was very difficult to even realize what my dreams were. And so that's, that's kind of why I got into the health practitioner roles. I wanted to help people get out of that because when we're stuck in a health crisis, everything else kind of fades away and it it almost should, because that is the most important thing is your health, right? So um, as we can, can unwind that, that whole uh, situation, Now the world opens up to us in a a completely new way. And it's why it's so important and so valuable and so worthwhile to invest in these practices, in these choices, Um, because what what you're unpacking, you don't even realize yet. You don't even know. Your first goal when you're stuck in a health crisis is, I just want to get better. I just want this thing to go away. I just want to be able to walk. I want there to be no pain. I want whatever it is for you, that you want the thing to, to be better. But the, the what actually is happening as you start to resolve that is the world opens up right and and that is and if you and if you actually have some of that insight uh, before your health crisis is resolved that can be um an orientation a guiding light out of that situation in other words one of the tools that i only recognized after the fact was oh i can focus on what is my purpose what is my mission what is my why what is my dream as as my friend paul check talks about this. What is your dream? Not, not what do you want to get rid of? And what do you want to resolve? What is your actual dream? And if you focus on that, it makes it so much easier to, to get out of the crisis. And again, what opens up for you is, is the magic and is the fun part um, and is what makes it so worthwhile, no matter how detrimental your situation is.
1: Yeah. I love that you talked about fasting, you know, as a spiritual practice as well, just a, just a moment ago, because the first time I did a fast or a cleanse was around 2007 and I had no idea what a faster cleanse was. You know, I just had a buddy who was like, I'm doing the master cleanse. You want to do it? I was like, sure. I was like, what's that? <laughs> and then he sat down and told me about it. And it's like, you know, oh, I'm doing five days of nothing but water. And then in that water, we put some cayenne pepper, some lemon and some maple syrup. And that's it. You walk around with a jug of this liquid and just drink it, you know. days on end you don't eat anything um you don't take anything else and that was it and i was like sure why not you know it sounds interesting this is a new experience why not so i did the five days and what was really interesting to me was at the end of that five days this is the only way i can explain it i literally felt like number one i i could feel my organs for the first time i could feel the organs inside of my body and i'd never thought about my organs in that way before I could feel that they were happy and it's like, it's, there's no other way to explain it other than I felt like my stomach, my intestines, my liver, my heart, like my, my inner organs were like thanking me for taking a break from all this shit I was putting in my body. And at the same time, so that was a physical connection and physical thing, kind of first eye opening thing that I had. Then it was the mental-emotional thing. It was the resilience. It was noticing the addiction to food. It was, you know, developing that self-determination, self-will when you want to eat and you don't anyway. And, like, learning to control that temptation of the body, the addiction to food of the body. So having that control is incredibly valuable when we're talking about you know limiting food intake or reducing the types of processed foods you're putting into your body you know reducing the the chemical foods that are causing you to be addicted to them so that self control mental emotional self control is incredible and then and then the spiritual aspect of it like i felt my mind was more heightened my awareness was more heightened you know our lives are so much centered around food and as an athlete Who is focused on gaining weight as a competitive crossfit athlete like my life is really focused around food right now more than it's ever been in my entire life i've never tried gaining weight before in my life um that's not been uh and it's not been an easy thing because i have to eat a lot more than i want to and that's not the prescription for longevity Uh, It is a prescription for what I'm doing with my short-term goals right now.
0: I'm going to pause you right there. That that is beautiful, by the way, because this is so important that, you know, some people think running, for example, long distances is like really good for your health. And I'm like, no, that's pretty bad for your health. (laughs) It can be. And you're you're doing it for a reason, then go do it. You know what I mean? Like that is such a, a more healthy way to approach it that it's like, yeah, okay, I know this may not be good for my longevity, but th- I love this. And I'm going to do this. And I'm going to go experience this. I, so anyway, I just want to pause you. That is such a beautiful way to approach things. And it's, it's exactly the right way. Even if you drink a Coke, like I can drink a Coke and I'm like, you know what, this is not good for me. But oh, man, that was good. Okay, done. <laughs> well, I scratched the edge, you know, something I, like that.
1: You know? I had this conversation with uh, Dr. Isaac Elias, um, who's become a good friend these past couple of years. And you know, I told him and I said, I said, yeah, maybe I'm taking a few years off my life, but I'm I'm doing something that I really, really enjoy that I do believe is good for me. It brings me a lot of joy, a lot of commitment, helps with my family, helps with a lot of things. Right. Um, and he goes, well, you know, honestly, maybe you're not taking any years off your life because you are doing something every day that you really enjoy. And we know that joy and happiness and having that sense of, of really enjoying something um, so actually extends your lifespan, right? So maybe it con- maybe it counteracts itself. And right. and I'm not going to do this for the rest of my life, at least, you know, uh, ec- eat excessively, et cetera, et cetera. But even so, I'm still eating an organic, whole food, plant-based diet. So, um, you know, I know that that's reducing the inflammation, helping my body heal, and I do all the other things on top of it. But the reason I shared that was that going back to the cleanse and the fasting, that first five-day cleanse opened me up to this whole world of fasting, intermittent fasting, cleansing. I think the longest, and then after that, for for the following years, I did dozens of cleanses and fasts. I even wrote my own. spent two years designing one. It's called the Panacea Cleanse. And, you know, those fasts and cleanses and detoxes have been instrumental in my own development as a human being and, you know, mental, emotional control, physical control. I think spiritual awareness. I think the longest one I did was either two or three weeks where I did basically nothing but like liquid for, it might've been a 21 day cleanse or fast. And I can tell you from experience, like those are some of the most powerful experiences I've had in my life where you're going days and days without food. You're just drinking a liquid. Maybe it's a green juice or it's water or it's, you know, uh, some other kind of fast or cleanse. Your body is like, it, it, it's aching to have that experience, to release these toxins, to, to take a break from the digestive process, to really get into autophagy and deep healing. Um, there are many stories of doctors I've interviewed over the years of people who went on a 30-day or 60-day water fast and their cancer was gone. Uh, At the end of it, you know, and water fasting, you got to be careful with. You definitely want some guidance, some doctor support. It's very powerful.
0: That's that's part of the the challenge of it is it's it's actually so effective that it can be harmful if 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 not if for some people because hundred percent so
1: toxic. Yeah, so I mean, don't don't take this as like, oh, I have cancer, I'm going to do a thirty day water fast. Like, get some. There are fasting clinics around the U.S. and in other countries where you can get doctor support on it, but. Just to put a pin in that, um, I'm glad you talked about it because fasting is not only in cleansing and so forth. is not only amazing for the physical body, but the spiritual awareness that comes from it—the insights, the clarity, the energy. For me, it's on day three. The first two days suck. They're like they're fucking terrible. You're like all you can think about is you. eating, and you just want you know you just want to eat, and you're kind of like a little bit anxious and whatever. And then by day three, it's like I and many others I talked to have. have you know, you enter into like a heightened state. The hunger reduces significantly. And all of a sudden you, you're full of energy, you know, you're like yeah. full of this life yeah. force energy that's been awakened that you're like, well, this is pretty amazing. I could do this for days, you know, and it's- I could do it it's forever. Really yeah, I, I've had that as well. Yeah.
0: And it's interesting because <laughs> that, that first period is the deconditioning process, right? That we talked about before. It's like, you, you're, you're not only is your mental and emotional state conditioned, to eat food and accept food, but your microbiota are conditioned to the regular intake of the same foods typically that we eat day in and day out. And so when you remove that, now the whole body has to decondition. It has to completely uh, change to a new reality. And so it's going to adapt. Right, And so as it adapts to this new reality of, of no food or, or or let's say juices, for example, if you do like a juice cleanse or a juice type of fast, um, now it's a new environment that it's going to adapt to. So your whole body is going to adapt to that process. And without your your um, digestive tract um, full of food, I would say there's still generally pockets of let's say fecal matter and, and and metabolic waste that's stuck in there maybe for years or decades. Like this is very well documented. So even when you take away food, there's stuff, there's tucked away in these little pockets that are still stuck in there.
1: Dude, so you can have a bowel stuff, movement. So people don't know, right? right? You can have a bowel. So let's say day three, you're only pooping out liquid. Okay. You can, and for day four it's liquid day five is like, it's like you're peeing out your butt. It does feel weird, but you're like, okay, I'm just, it's just water based. It's just liquid coming out. On day seven or eight or nine or ten, and I've had people who I've guided through faster, I've had family members who've done it. You know, even even day 14, 15, they can have a bowel movement, a big bowel yeah. movement, right? Where like that fecal matter that's infested with parasites, that's infested with all kinds bacteria and different things that have been stuck inside these, you know, the the areas around your intestines or your colon where it gets built up in there and you get this plaque, you literally get a plaque build up in there. This is contributing to the chronic inflammation in the body is what we've discovered, right? And it can contribute that's to chronic inflammatory process. that can lead to cancer in the body and can, and can cre- contribute to an autoimmune response and, and a reduced immune system function. Day 14, 15, all of a sudden you have this bowel movement. All this stuff comes out and it's like, yep. that's what your body's been needing. That's what okay. it's been missing. And, some, yeah, and it's, it's so it's, powerful. Yeah,
0: it's this mucoid plaque that develops, right? And and it can be this sticky, gooey. And and look, in Ayurveda they call it ama, right? Which is the sticky, morbid, dead metabolic waste that's building up in the body. Now, if just like any environment, if we have rotting uh, organic matter, what's going to happen? You're going to have, if it's in the environment, you're going to have flies. You're going to have all kinds of maggots. You're going to have all kinds of 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 microbes and little creatures there helping to clean up the environment that's what they're doing right that's that's how nature cleanses itself is with these organisms so same thing in your body that's what's going to happen you're going to start developing parasites you're going to have all this these microbes these these, these issues that are gonna interact with your body and create uh, undesirable effects, right? Because they produce their own wastes, right? And that's what affects us. There's all kinds of things that happen when you have an infestation of parasites and and microbes that are that are uh, beyond the balance that your body is, has, is, is ideal. And so as you cleanse that out, as you get rid of that stuff, not only are you setting up a totally different environment in your GI tract, your body's gonna have less to deal with, and from an inflammation standpoint, from you know lipopolysaccharides and all kinds of other things that spew out of these guys. But now also, you know, things that we don't talk about enough, I think, in in the health world or the functional medicine world, is that the interstitium right there's this fluid exchange that's happening all throughout our bodies in other words the intracellular matrix the spaces between cells that nobody really talks about in fact the interstitium has been classified as a, as its own organ now right so and this is a very recent addition the last few years but the fluid exchange that's happening that's that's inner, uh, tied intimately with the lymphatic system with the you know the veins and the circulatory system the and fascia then into- Right, the fascia and the interstitium into the GI tract because that's essentially what's happening. And Ayurveda's panchakarmas and, and their techniques of cleansing actually have a lot to do with this, facilitating the waste that's spread throughout the body and the joints and the in the brain and the various aspects of every tissue and every cell of the body starts to move its way into the GI tract and out of the body. So, I mean, the, the GI tract and the, and, the, and the urinary tract and the breath and the sweat Right? These are our primary uh, modes of, of excretion and so we want to be sweating we want to be you know getting rid of the stuff through the GI tract through the near- urinary tract um, and and through the breath right which is where exercise comes in right which is your even breath work. This is the process of cleaning up the body, but oftentimes the, the the primary thing that needs to happen is the is the removal of all the the stuff in the bowels. If we have a imagine, it's just like any other system. If the if the bowels constantly full. Then, then you're the. Not only are we is it are we having to remove that stuff that we're that's constantly entering our body, but it's almost like there's this positive osmotic pressure. Almost, it's like it's like everything's being forced into the body. We want to force things out of the body, right? And so many of us don't spend enough time um, in the absence of food to allow our bodies to actually get rid of waste. It's like imagine if you constantly brought in new food and new toys and new furniture and new clothes into your house. And you never got rid of anything that that was old. Like and you just kept buying more stuff. Amazon's coming to your house 15 times a day and you're never throwing anything away. Well, your house is gonna be an absolute disaster. And it doesn't even reflect on the fact that all this stuff may or may not be useful. It may be useful, but you have too much. We don't have the space. We don't, it's cluttering up the, the entire space. Now imagine if you live in a house, if you've ever been to like a hoarder or let's say quasi hoarder. And there's so much stuff piled up in the house, your whole and you're not used to that. You're like, oh my gosh, it, it affects your mental capacity. It affects the way you you behave. You you move through the space differently, you eat differently. So the environment itself has changed, and now it's causing a, a totally different reality for you to show up. Same thing that's happening in our body. And, and and in Ayurveda, Ama, they say, is the root of all disease. Every single disease is because of ama. In other words, this morbid toxic metabolic waste that is in the cell that's outside the cell that's in the organs that's everywhere we're building that up and ama is a product of of just being so we have to cleanse the ama we have to clear the ama we have to burn it off and so there's a their whole process is about that right so um you know i think it's it's such a critical part of avoiding food so that we can get rid of this waste
1: yeah it's so powerful man i don't know um why we didn't open up the conversation talking about poop, but I'm glad we at least finished <laughs> the conversation talking about poop. Um, Got to have it in there somewhere. It's really important. So uh, I, I get this question all the time, like what for people who want to cleanse or detox or fast, like I've, um, I recommend the, uh, the, you can go get the book I put together super cheap on Amazon. It's called the Panacea Cleanse. It walks you through a 12-day cleanse that I spent two years designing. That's a really powerful uh, detox and cleansing process that I built it so that you kind of transition into it and then you hit some peak cleansing states and then you transition back out instead of some of the cleanses I've done where it's like you shoot right into the intensity and then you shoot right back out, which I don't recommend that. You can have some, you know, Herxheimer reactions and different problems because of that. So people can go check that out if they, if they want. But um, I just wanted to say, Jason, um, number one, it's been an awesome conversation, dude. I appreciate you coming on. And uh, we've, we've talked about a lot of really cool stuff. So thank you. Um, you're super brilliant for sure. And, um, you know, I, I think this was a, a fun conversation. And number two, uh, your book, Beyond Longevity, is available now. Um, and uh, where can people go get it?
0: Yeah, you can find it at pretty much any bookstore. They um, can find it online on Amazon, Beyond Longevity. Um, and it's, it's really about how to feel better how to uh, walk through the world um, just the way that we've been talking about, right? Opening ourselves up to the deeper aspects of what health is really about. And it's not about just um, getting rid of our disease, but it's about opening ourselves up to a new reality. So yeah, they can find that pretty much anywhere books are sold. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you having me on, man. It's, um, these are the kind of conversations I think that um, are so important um, because they're, they're just so grounded in a, in a reality that it, that can be so simple. This is what the things that we talked about today are not out of reach for anybody, no matter what your economic status is, no matter how old you are, these, these tools can be employed, right? And to me, that is, that's the key to getting out of this sort of mess that we've created for ourselves is to give people the tools and the understandings and the, the little, little insights, um, of how to make forward progress, no matter where they're at. And, and again, I think that is what's going to change the landscape of health and it already has, right? I mean, I remember when I was. Maybe 15 years ago, I was the weird guy growing food in his backyard, you know, always talking about organic, right? And now it's like, it's, it's, everybody's talking about organic, right? It was, it's a totally different reality. And it's like, yeah. almost, people actually forget that that I couldn't get organic food at the store. It was like hard to find, right? So we're, we're, it's shifting and it's, it's changing in such a big way. And I think there's so many people that are uh, opening themselves up to these um, simple aspects of health. And so I, I love to see it.
1: Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks, dude. Thanks for coming on. Um, appreciate you. And uh, go, everybody tuning in, go grab a copy of Be Lo- Beyond Longevity. Um, read it. Uh, I have a copy. It's a good book. So go check it out. And uh, wish you guys so much health and happiness. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening to the Nathan Crane podcast. Please make sure to subscribe and share this on social media. Then head over to NathanCrane.com for your free ebook.
1: So when we're talking about, you know, what are these underlying causes and conditions of these chronic diseases, cancer, diabetes, heart disease, they all have very similar if not identical causes. And that's the thing is when we get to the root cause of these diseases, we can not only prevent these diseases from ever happening but empower our bodies to heal from them. In every one of our cells, we have tens and hundreds of thousands of chemical reactions that are happening every
0: second that are cycling uh, back and forth and it's like sort of a, a yin and yang. And you know, for me, the soul, soul's purpose is evolution. It doesn't care about comfort, it cares about evolution. Mm. And so I think so long as we are following our soul, then we will evolve. And I think what sometimes blocks us from living our purpose, from manifesting that next level of our expression is we have not evolved.
1: There is also time for letting go all the expectations and relax and just breathe and be grateful for what you have achieved.